You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You will take your Bibles and I want you to go to 1 Peter. So we're in a month-long series talking about what is the vision or what is our vision of Bethel Bible Church? What is it that we are about? But we began with talking about the most important thing before we ever think about our vision, and it has to do with our success as a church, as believers, as Christians. It doesn't hinge on having a great vision. Anybody can have that. But it starts with how we handle how we revere, and how we live by God's Word. That's what our success will be built upon. But we do have a vision. We have something that we feel like we're called to, and it's in three major statements. It's growing communities, building leaders, and living generously. But we kind of mixed them up a little bit, and we began with building leaders. You remember last week, leadership is about one word. Do you remember what it was? Do I need to preach that one again? Remember, it was influence. All of leadership, no matter the title, whatever it might be, influence, you can boil that down. That's what leadership is. And so we saw that God gives us all influence. From the youngest to the oldest, we all have influence. So we talked it this way, that leadership is influencing others, using the influence God gives us in the lives of other people to help them live according to the vision God has placed within them. And I, I wished I had time last week to do this. We were talking through First uh, Timothy 3. But I want to just kind of introduce you. Nobody, had, You don't have to stand up, so don't worry. But I just want to read for you a list of names of the people that God has brought and raised up to lead here at this campus. Last week, we installed uh, one elder and I think five deacons. So I just want you to know who these guys are. So our elders are Steve Hudson, Corey Mason, Kent Miller, and Paul Keel. God's raised up deacons of Clinton Carr. Happy birthday, Clinton. Uh, Mike Coslow, Charlie Crum, Brian Kennedy, Adam McMahon, Stephen Swindell, and Chris Winfield. But God's done even more. Uh, What I love about this, these are just like me, like Peter, ordinary people. But God has raised up to lead the teams, our connections teams, lead by Corey Mason. Bobby Freeman's going to be stepping into that team. Karen Mason. Uh, leads our greeting team, Steve Hudson, our hospitality. Brian and Shelly Thomas take care of our potluck. I promise it's returning the second week of September, so it's coming, I promise. Uh, Youth Midweek, you met those. You met the Winfields and the Rivers. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, you met Casey and Donnie. Our Adam McMahon leads our worship team. Karen Mason has been getting the women's uh, Bible study team together and so many women leading in that. My wife, Marla, leads our preschool and nursery team. Kathleen Peterson, our Bethel Kids Life Group and child care team. Brittany McMahon leads the team of the elementary leaders upstairs. Tyson and Jackie Glasscock, anything we need to make something look great. And next week, they have a big surprise for you, so come next week. Clint Carr takes care of all of our projection. But then, it gets even better. Let me read for you a list of life group leaders. And uh, Clint was telling me, I think we have 12 new leaders that we're going to get to add to our life group team. So 
Here's a, another thing. You're going to notice a lot of names even repeated. We've got so many people doing so many things. Clinton and Allison Carr, Jimmy and Jennifer Clark, Charlie and Amy Crum, Steve and Karen Hudson, Paul and Patty Keel, Kent and Michelle Miller, Adam and Britain, Brittany McMahon, Stuart and Jamie Meisenheimer, Tom and Liz Pino, Stephen and uh, Fallon Swindell, Ben and Candy Turney, and Clint and Melissa Wright. Plus... 25 people investing in our preschool and nursery. Six people investing with our elementary. God is raising up leaders here. Can we just give God a hand for that? I mean, the percentage of people that we have serving and investing is incredible. But... We still need more. We still have holes. We still have gaps. We still have opportunities for people to invest their lives in other people. And all you need to do, any name I'm read, find them and say, help me to invest in my life as you were doing. So last week we talked about building leaders. So this week, it's also a continuation. It is about building up leaders, but it's also about people living generously. But I had a thought this week. When we often think about vision, we think of it as something we're striving for. We think of it as something, a church or a business, it's something we are working towards. And that's a, that's a good, that's an accurate, that is a correct way to think about, okay, what is our vision? But there's another important way, maybe a better way to think about vision. The vision isn't so much what we're trying to do. It isn't what we're striving to see happen. But vision should actually be who we are. That a vision, if it's right, if it's biblical, if we live by it, it should become our identity. Now, we all have things that identify us. Think about maybe the top three or four things that identify you. Maybe you're going to be asked to fill a little bio uh, some new social media craze comes by and you got to get the right picture with all the right things about you. What would be your top three or four things that identify who you are? So for me, I could say I'm husband of Marla, father to Kylie, Ophie, and Marcus, uh, campus pastor of Bethel Bible Church, and I, I love the outdoors. And so see, we all have things that we could do, we could say that, that are identifiers. But then hopefully our behavior comes from those things that identify us. So for instance, I've never just dropped into another church and sat down in their staff meeting. Now they would think it's strange, but I've never done that. I've never just popped, hey, what are we going to talk about? What are we deciding today? You don't have to worry about me coming up to your house and letting myself in to discipline or correct your children. Now, you may want me two times, but I'm not going to do that, I promise. Men, I'll never send your wife a kissy face emoji over text. I'm just not going to do that. Why? Because that's not my identity. But I do go to the staff meetings of Bethel Bible Church because that's who I am. I do correct and discipline my children uh, when time's needed. I do send my wife kissy face emojis because... That's my identity. So identity is important because our behaviors should come from who we are. But identity can be a tricky thing. You know, I think one of the greatest things about kids, children, is they're not quite wrapped up in identity issues yet. 
Man, we had some new neighbors that moved in across the street. Man, our kids couldn't wait. They weren't thinking, I wonder what they look like. I wonder how much he makes. I wonder if she's into this or that. They just thought, kids across the street, let's go see if they can play. They, that's all they cared about. There's a human. They're probably about my right size and, and age. I'm just going to go and see if they want to play. They're not afraid of being judged or being strange or being seen as weird. They don't divide themselves up into these little identity groups or refuse to associate with other people, but it doesn't take long, does it? It doesn't take long for those things to come vitally important. You get older, especially our preteens and teenagers, and identity becomes everything. They're searching for an identity that will bring them acceptance. Now, some of you know this about me, that Went through a strange thing in my life that when I was a freshman, a ninth grader, I, I moved from a very small town in rural Arkansas to the metropolis of Henderson, Texas. And man, my world was just blown apart. I, I left this city. I was known as the rebellious preacher's kid. But I thought, here's my chance for a new start. Remember looking around and man, we didn't come from much and things were a little different. They, it seemed like they were 10 years ahead of the times where we were moving there. And I remember looking around, going home and saying, Mom, can you go down to whatever that store, Bells or Bills, we never decided, and I need one of these turtlenecks and a cardigan. So we're late 80s, I understand that. So I said, that, that's what all the kids are wearing. Can you get me a turtleneck and a cardigan sweater to, to go with it? I, I need that to fit in. Well, I know, I looked great. It was great. No pictures. Um, but that really wasn't working. I don't know what it was. Um, so then I thought I met a new friend, and he started wearing these wrang or he was wearing Wranglers. So I said, Mom, you've got to go get me a pair of Wranglers. Uh, I think I've got a pair of boots of Dad's I can wear. And, you know, I spent like an hour at the ironing board trying to get that faded line crease down the front and back, went through like six cans of starch, trying to get those pants right. Why? I'm looking for an identity. So then I tried... You know, the sports route, that didn't work. So I just started working when I was in high school, and that seemed to work. I just joined the job program. But hopefully, as we get older, hopefully, we find an identity of who we are that, that works, that, that we're proud of, that we are known for. So here's some good identities. Maybe you want to be known as a good financial steward that you've gone through the courses, that you've made some good decisions, and you think, man, I want to be known as the person that's got their finances in, in order. What about being known as a successful teacher or administrator? I, I want to be known as somebody that's really good at that, a gifted communicator. Maybe it's, hey, I, I want to be someone that's seen as just the life of the party, that, that social butterfly, meaning, man, I'm involved and I can fit in with any group and all these different uh, social circles that, man, I can just fit in. I've got friends galore. Maybe a good identity is a self-made man or woman. You've built your own business with your own hands and your hard work, and you want to be known as someone that, that has put all this together and accomplished something. A successful mother. Well-fed kids, well-dressed, well-behaved. And, man, these are good identities, things that I think most of us, we would want to be known for. But here's the catch. When our identities are built on anything other than the finished work of Christ, they will lead us to dangerous places. So think about those 
those good identities. You want to be known as the, a good financial steward, the Dave Ramsey guru, you know. You want to be known as somebody that's worked hard to, to make good decisions, to, to get everything in order. Man, you can quickly grow envious of someone who seems to do it better. Or when that financial crisis comes along that you weren't prepared for. What about your identity as a successful teacher, the one that everyone requests? Man, bring a new teacher into the mix that everyone likes, or a friend or someone you know doesn't, doesn't select you, doesn't pick you. Man, all of a sudden we've set ourselves up. What about a gifted communicator? That's one I, I would hope that. But man, I can be driven to envy when I see someone that seems to be better at it, or, or the, somebody comes, oh, have you heard this person? They are great. And you're like, no, I haven't. Sorry. But you know, I mean, envy just kind of wells up because if our identity isn't built on the finished work of Christ, being a self-made person who's not needed anything from anyone, man, I think you can be driven by the fear of failing. Their identity to be a successful mother. Nothing wrong with that. But when your kids have friends that have a better, well-balanced lunch, nicer clothes, and your kids don't act like their kids do, and your kids get acted out, better than theirs, that all of a sudden we're driven to despair and failure. Or take nationalism. When we build our identity on nationalism, all it takes is someone or something to threaten that ideology, and we're driven to hate. We've seen that over the last few weeks. But I think there's even a darker side to identity. Some of you, you have an identity, it's, it's who you are, and you have found something I think many of us are still struggling to find, well, what is that? It doesn't matter whether you're 14 or you're 34 or 84. You can still struggle with what is my identity. And you've tried many things, many different groups to get involved in, and nothing has worked. Well, the good news is from 1 Peter 3, there is hope for all of us this morning. So find your way there to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, what is fascinating and what is helpful from Peter this morning is really kind of the, the things that's happening behind the scenes. So, Peter is writing this letter to a bunch of persecuted Christians, people that have heard and believed in the truth of who Jesus was and that you're reconciled with God based on the finished work of Christ because of His life, His death, and His resurrection but persecution is waiting just around the corner. This persecution, we read, it comes in many different forms. Some people were slandered, others ridiculed. Some experienced discrimination. Your friends would no longer do business with you. Your children weren't allowed to play with their children. You were avoided at all costs. And in fact, at times people were beaten and stoned for believing in something. So Peter, in fact, he'll experience martyr, being martyred three or five years after he wrote this. So what he's doing, he's writing to some persecuted Christians, people that have heard this message and they have believed it and now they're suffering for it. So over and over, he gives them three things. If you were to read through this letter, he's going to say, Trust in the Lord, live obediently no matter the circumstances, and keep your hope fixed on God's promise of deliverance. So this is what Peter is saying. saying, listen, suffering, I wish I could say differently, but suffering will come. But it will only be temporary. 
It's not going to last forever. Whether deliverance comes in this life or the life to come, we're to hold fast because there is a greater blessing coming, in fact, greater than you could ever imagine. And he says, listen, God's not going to waste one second of your suffering. He is building something in you. But Peter is wise enough to know something. He knows he doesn't have this in himself to to trust. He doesn't have it in himself to live obediently no matter what. To keep his hope fixed on God's promises. Peter knows what it means to sin. Peter knows what it means to crater under pressure. So what is he going to do? He's going to build this encouragement of trusting in the Lord, of living obediently and keeping their hope fixed on God's promises. He's going to build it not in willpower. He's going to build it on their identity. Because when their identity comes from Christ, then those actions, behaviors, and those attitudes, they come from an unshakable place. So look at verse 9. So Peter's going to begin not with go and do this. He's going to begin with who they are. In fact, he's saying, remember, but you, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, this is who you are. No matter what, no matter what anyone says, no matter what anybody thinks, no matter the battle going on in your mind, he says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And nothing can change that. He's saying it doesn't matter what others might think, what they might say or do. You belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, God Almighty, he says, has put his stamp of approval on you. You didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it. God does it by his own free choice. He tattooed his name on you. He's claimed you. When anyone comes by, he says, no, that one, that one belongs to me. And that should mean everything to us. That's an identity that'll never drive you to fear. It'll never drive you to envy, to hate, discouragement, or despair. Because no matter what anybody might think of me, no matter what anybody might say, I can be reminded, no, I'm a chosen race, I'm a royal priesthood, I'm a holy nation, I'm a person, a people of his own possession. So Peter's now going to kind of flush this out about how do you live? What do you do with that identity what is it that really looks like to live generously and he's going to give us three things he's going to say be generous with love be generous with kindness and be generous with grace look at verse eight he says above all above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins So he says, above all, meaning this is the most important thing of first importance. Listen to this. He says, keep loving one another earnestly. And he's describing a love that is persistent, that that pushes through difficult things. Peter is saying love 
those that are easy to love, but also love those that are hard to love. But notice what your love for others does. He says it covers a multitude, in verse 8, covers a multitude of sin. What does it mean that love, it, it covers a multitude of sin? It means that love isn't blind, but it sees, but it accepts the faults of others. And this is an important thought that's all throughout the Bible. In fact, you could turn to Proverbs 10, 12, and you read almost the exact same words. It says, hatred stirs up strife. We've seen that over the last few weeks. But love covers all offenses. It means you're to bear with one another, meaning no one here is perfect. In fact, you're not allowed in here if you're perfect. Because I've often said, listen, stay around here long enough, and someone's going to say something to hurt your feelings, probably me. You're going to get left out of, of something. Somebody's going to say, say something that you don't really agree with. But we are to accept that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. In fact, Peter says, love with the love that's been given to you. In fact, listen to how David Helms says it, thinking about love. He says, love takes oxygen out of sin, the way a blanket chokes out the air from one caught on fire. Similarly, as long as oxygen is present, forest fires rage. But if you could take the air away, the blaze would settle down and great tracts of land would be saved. We, we, we need to love. We need to be generous with our love in that way. We need to not allow evil to breathe for long. In fact, Peter says, listen, keep Short accounts. We need to be gracious with the love we have for other people. But Peter knows being gracious with our love is only possible because God's been perfectly gracious in his love for us. God gives it freely, therefore we are able to do it. Then in verse 7, he's going to say, be generous, not with your, also with your love, but with kindness. And he's going to use a word we talked about last week. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Meaning hospitality means to, to open up your lives to other people. It means to uh, look for ways to take down the barriers to being hospitable. Man, we're great at putting up the barriers. We think, oh, I don't have anything to offer anybody. They wouldn't want to be involved in my life. Oh, my house isn't big enough. It, we don't have nice enough things, or I don't have enough time, or, you know, it's just too much trouble. You know, I'm afraid of looking bad in someone's eyes if I'm to get involved with those people. And listen, I've been praying, it seems like, for so long for our campus, for myself. And I believe that the growth of this campus isn't dependent just on having great worship experiences and times together, but it's more people opening up their lives to be used by God so that He can use their grace to change the things that are happening. And I believe this because I've witnessed it firsthand. I can remember being in a family, getting invited over to people's houses as a child. Man, I can, I can still remember people opening up their lives to my family and watching my family be influenced by that. I remember Marla and I being newly married, not knowing anything that's going on, moving into town, and, a, and an older couple 
inviting us and opening up their lives to have us over to play cards together. You know, it's like moving into a new city and not knowing anyone and neighbors coming to meet you and welcoming you. And Peter is saying that we need to share God's goodness, His kindness with others because God's done that to us. His grace should overflow from our lives into the lives of others. And that's what hospitality means. It means to open up our lives to other people. And I'm so thankful to be able to read the list of people that are opening up their lives, their homes and their lives and saying, welcome, come in. It's not perfect in here, but you are welcome. So he says, be generous with our kindness. But it's only possible because God's opened up his home to us through Christ first. So he says, be generous with love, be generous with kindness. But then he says, be generous with grace. Look at verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, and everybody loves receiving gifts, right? Each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him who belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so here is a bedrock truth of Christianity, of evangelicalism. That every believer, no matter how old or how young, every believer is indwelled by the Spirit of the Lord. Everyone receives gifts. But not everybody receives all the gifts. Nobody has them all. Nobody has a monopoly on the gifts. God hasn't given all of them to one person. And why? Because it takes everyone using their gifts together to make up the body. But God gives them undeservingly. You don't deserve the gift you have, and I don't deserve it. And He's given it, and we can't earn it. But notice what your gifts are for. You see it there in verse 10? You've received this gift, use it to serve one another. Notice where it comes from, as good stewards of God. Meaning, He gives this, you don't earn it, you don't go out and deserve it. He gives it to you freely, but you're to serve others with these gifts. But notice how He describes them. God gives them. We are only stewards of these gifts, but it says God's varied grace. Meaning God gives gifts. These gifts are called graces. You don't earn them. We don't deserve them. Gifts like mercy and service and teaching and exhortation and discernment, faith and knowledge. Meaning God has given you and he's given me a portion. Not all of them giving you a portion of his grace That is not meant for you. He's given you this grace. You receive it. But you're not meant to hoard it. You're not meant to hold on to it. You are meant to give it to others. In fact, Dan Bowen, a friend of mine, he's got a great way of thinking about this. And so football season is just around the corner. And um, it's the idea of shooting the gap. And if you're a football fan and 
I saw Cameron walk in today. I know they're, they're right in the middle of all the football season going on. And it's this idea of a running back stays behind his line, waiting for that opportunity for the gap or the hole to open, and he is to shoot the gap. And so thinking about it that way, that there are going to be opportunities, that we are to wait patiently, but we're looking for an opportunity for a space to shoot the gap in someone's life. Shooting the gap with God's grace. There are people all around us all the time that we can show God's grace to, and He wants to use you. In fact, He's given us gifts that aren't meant for us. And I believe there are things that God wants to accomplish in this church and in our city, and He is just waiting for people to step into the opportunity and to shoot the gap. So he's going to talk about it in two ways. He's going to give us two words. In fact, it's interesting. You can take every spiritual gift and put them in these two categories. He uses speaking and serving. So speaking, it's not just preaching. If you're a Christian, God's Spirit has gifted you to speak truth and grace into people's lives. He's not talking just about sermons, but about speaking across your living room. Speaking across that lunch table with a friend. Or riding in that car with someone. There are so many ways to speak and to be generous with God's grace that He has given you for other people. Yes, it can be around a Bible study at lunchtime, before bed, even sitting in a duck blind. Thank you, Lord. Riding down the road, cutting firewood, wherever there is an opportunity for encouragement and discernment and wisdom. But how do we do this? It's, it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own power. God says He has given this gift to you. He's promised to give you everything that you need. We just need to be willing. Just don't be afraid to speak into people's lives. Be generous with your grace. But then He uses the word serving. To serve with the strength, He says, that God gives you. And once again, Peter is saying, live generously. And this is what we want to be known for. We want to be known as a group of people. When they think of Bethel Bible Church, they look at us and say, that is a group of people that are giving their lives away. We need to serve others, and there are unlimited opportunities. But here's the truth that Peter gives us. Peter says, listen, no one really feels all the way adequate. Man, I hear that, oh, I'm just, I don't have anything, I'm not good enough. No, God has given you everything that you need. We just have to be willing to step into that opportunity to shoot the gap, to be generous with our grace. So we're to be generous with our love, we're to be generous with our kindness, we're to be generous with our grace. But it isn't just, hey, go out and do these things. No, we realize it has to come from our identity. Because if we build even any of that great things, if we build it upon anything other than the finished work of Christ, it can lead us to a dangerous place. And so church, hear me this morning. First, our vision means nothing if it is not based upon God's order, how we revere, how we handle, how we revere, how we live by God's word. The second... We want this vision to living generously of growing communities 
of building leaders. We want it to be not just something that we're striving for. We want it to be who we are. But I want to close with something, and I don't know, it's been real personal, it seems like, over the last few weeks, and maybe this is meaningful to some of us. When we build our identities upon anything other than the finished work of Christ, when it's anything other than that, it can drive us to fear and and envy and hate, discouragement, failure, and even despair. So the word of caution is please be careful to find your identity in Him and Him first. Remind yourself you're known, you're, you're loved, you're cared for by the Lord God Almighty. Because no matter what others might think, no matter what they might say, no matter what they might do, you belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, He has put His stamp of approval on you and nothing can change that. And here's the truth. You don't have to even live up to His acceptance. He gives it freely. He tattoos His name on you. He claims you as His own. And that should mean more to us than anything. And that is an identity that will never Drive you to fear, envy, hate, discouragement, or despair. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're still struggling with even knowing what is my identity, my encouragement is find someone, find any of those leaders this morning and reach out for that identity that we want to build our lives. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.